0: hello everyone and welcome to what the fuck's up podcast i'm your host Caitlin kelly and today i'm joined by sexual educator and mental health advocate eileen kelly eileen started her blog killer and a sweet thing in her early teens to answer questions readers had about sex and sexual health making her the dr ruth of her generation She grew up in Seattle, Washington, and eventually moved to New York City, where we met through some mutual friends. She is currently hosting her podcast, Going Mental with Eileen Kelly, where she is passionate about interviewing a range of noteworthy and, at times, controversial individuals, including Amanda Knox, michael cohen and caroline calloway welcome eileen i'm so excited to have you on this is so awesome
1: thank you for having me i'm excited to get into it
0: yes how are you doing how have things been it's been a minute since i've seen you like a really long minute (laughs) (laughs) Um, 10 years i don't know (laughs) we're old now
1: yeah probably 10 years um yeah things are going great just focused on my podcast and doing some side projects, but yeah, just working hard, kind of getting back into the swing of things after COVID.
0: Totally. Um, also, I was mentioning, and I did not mention in the intro that Uh, She also had an amazing episode with Madison Beer. You have such cool people on the podcast and it sounds really good. Um, Former guest and friend Alana Dunn is also the one of the producer editors. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And she's she's so great. So she's part of the reason I connected with you and shout out alana you're awesome Mm -hmm. um so just to start and get into things obviously i gave you the introduction but do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about you and how you got into killer and a sweet thing and eventually the podcast
1: yeah my whole spiel
0: yeah your whole spiel the whole thing (laughs) okay you must love it i'm sure you've done it quite a bit Guys, if you Google her, she has some very cool interviews, so she's she's a pro at this by yeah.
1: now. <laughs> um, so I'm from Seattle, Washington originally, and in high school, I started on Tumblr, which is so funny because I feel like Tumblr doesn't even really exist anymore. So funny. I was saying, like, so I
0: knew, obviously, that you, like, blew up and you know, got this Instagram following, but I had no idea until today that when I was, like, researching that it originated from Tumblr. Like, I don't even know how Tumblr works. I had friends who were into it, but yeah, it was a niche thing, I feel like.
1: Yeah, it was like a photo sharing kind of website. Although I would say maybe Pinterest is more that, but like you could talk to other people, you could write blog posts. It was like blogging for dummies, but I was like 15, 16 and I made a Tumblr account and I would repost photos or answer questions, talk about my dating life, like my first boyfriend and losing my virginity. And that's kind of how I just organically started down the path of talking about sexual health.
0: Which is so impressive. You were so young to yeah. be like, to have the balls to do that. That's awesome. Um, and where did you get the name from, just out of curiosity?
1: It's actually from like this rap song that's super sexist and misogynistic. It's a too short song, <laughs> but I just thought yeah. it was catchy. I remember my friends and I were listening to the song one day and we thought it was catchy. And I was like, you know what? I don't have to use it in the way that they used it in the song, but I liked the name. Yeah, it's
0: a cool name. It's like reclaiming too, which is awesome. But yeah, so you started this blog and it sounds like you kind of became, even though you were kind of a baby at the time, you became like the big sister of the internet in a way.
1: Um, Yeah, I think it was like a natural progression of things. I think I just talked about my life so openly. And I think I'm sure part of that was that I was super young and, and naive and, you know, just believed in like, The goodness of people, and like I was experiencing things for the first time. Like, I had my first boyfriend, and I had just lost my virginity. And like, so it was like fun to talk about it with other people who were in that stage of life with me. Um, So, other teens online, and it was really wholesome. I didn't have like any bad, weird experiences on the internet back then, really. Um, I feel like if I was a teenager today, just with like TikTok and just how much things exist online now, I do think it would be a little bit of a different story.
0: Yeah. I think also as the years have gone on, like people feel more, I don't even know, it's horrible, but, but like entitled to trolling somehow. And there's just so like the reach is so much further now so that makes a lot of sense it's awesome that at that age it started as like a kind of safe space when you started it were you still in seattle
1: yes yeah i was fully in seattle going to high school and then i would like come home do my homework and go on tumblr in the evening
0: oh my god so cute
1: i know (laughs) um yeah i started out of like my high school bedroom, which is so funny. Like it's like over 10 years ago now. And then I moved to New York for college essentially. So my brothers had both gone gone to university in New York. And so I knew I always wanted to go there and I ended up going to school here and, once again just trying to figure out okay what do i want to study in college and it just became this natural progression of okay wait i could do what i've been doing on tumblr which i really enjoy and just talking mm-hmm. to people and hearing their stories and do that on a larger scale so that's where i started my blog like actual website and i just had met a friend who happened to be a coder he went to NYU and his roommate at the time did like he's an artist and so he made graphics for me and we kind of just built this website as like a really small team of just like a couple of college kids hanging out
0: wow that's really crazy that it blew up so much it also just yeah. like kind of
1: fell into my lap like you ask people who like try to start a website and like it's a lot of work and it's a lot of maintenance and money and especially Mm -hmm. if you don't know how to code or design it. So it really just happened so organically that I met these people who wanted to create something with me and they have the time at that point in their life where I don't think that would have happened if I met the same people today. And yeah, so initially I wrote everything myself. So it was just like a blog that I started where I would write about anything from getting an IED put in and just like my own personal experiences with sexual health and dating. And I realized very quickly that I was sharing such a narrow perspective. I mean, I was just sharing one point of view. So I asked a bunch of my friends who were in college at the same time, hey, would you want to write a piece or an article about your experience, whatever that is. And so it just happened that a bunch of my friends started writing for it and then they asked their friends and then people who would write for their college magazines or newspapers where, you know, once that you know, article or magazine was out. Then it was kind of poof; it was gone. It didn't. It wasn't living online somewhere. So they would send me pieces for like, hey, I really, I'm really proud of what I wrote. I wanted to exist on some place for like longer term. Yeah, to have a home. Exactly. So that's just kind of how things progressed. And yeah, at one point, like two, three years ago, we had over a hundred writers.
0: Wow, that's wild.
1: Yeah, so it was That's awesome. We were doing like a lot of live events. I would go and speak at colleges or high schools across the country. I created I did like a book, like a magazine, like we would print stuff in person and like have a tangible coffee table book. Um a lot of parties and events and work Love with like it. Planned Parenthood. And I did this program actually where I would help out at a public school in the East village for middle schoolers. And we would come in and like help with their sex ed program.
0: That's so awesome. And so crazy that you were doing all of this at like such a young age, like so, so impressive. What do you think gave you the courage to be so, you know, blatantly sex positive positive? Because we have a culture and I've kind of talked about this before on the podcast, but we have this culture that's like so sex obsessed, but also so sex shaming in a way. Um, and it's this really weird paradox. So I'm interested how you gained the confidence to talk so openly about your experiences and to delve into this world in such a like focused way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it definitely started from like a really personal place. So I grew oh. up in a house full of boys um, with a single dad, actually. So I really felt like when I was young and in middle school and going through puberty, I didn't really have a lot of places I could turn to for these questions I had about my body and I don't know, things that were changing, la-di-da-di-da, and I also went to Catholic school. So it was like, Mm. I honestly (laughs) felt like everything was working against me. So that's really why I personally turned to the internet So when I wanted to start talking about this stuff, I had already felt like I had overcome a lot of obstacles. You know, I'm a, I'm a young woman. I'm being raised in like a male dominated household. I'm Catholic. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to school. No one's wanting to talk about sex. No one's teaching me about, and I hate even using the term just sex because I don't think sex is inherently like provocative or sexual or pornographic. Mm -hmm. It's natural. it's completely natural exactly and i think that's been like a really interesting shift or how i walk on that line in my own day-to-day life and then in my relationships in my relationship with my family um and so it's just been this i don't know this natural process of i've always been really open about talking about my body because i feel like Like we're talking about right now, like it is natural and no one was talking to me about it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to change that for the next person.
0: Yeah, you just became your own advocate, which is awesome. So also you were saying you went to Catholic school. What was the sex education there? Were they teaching abstinence? Was it basically like nothing or you know, because Seattle's kind of liberal.
1: No, Seattle's super liberal. And yeah. that's what was such a mind fuck about go- growing up and attending Catholic school in Seattle is, yeah. you know, like I'm in one of the most liberal cities in the country. Like it's the first place that legalized marijuana and, you know, one of the first places for legalizing gay marriage. Yet at the same time, I'm in this honestly, like, pretty conservative religious bubble within Mm the city. Obviously, I had access to everything. Like, I wasn't living on some, like, farm in the middle of Seattle. You weren't Katy Perry. (laughs) But at the same time, like, yeah, the people that I was exposed to every day, and especially, like, when I was younger, younger, like, Mm -hmm. I would have sleepovers with, with, like, friends in middle school, and, like, their parents would make us go to church on Sunday. Yep. And, like, that to me is so crazy to look back on, but yeah, no, we didn't, I don't think I had sex ed at all in middle school. They separated the boys and the girls and it was really just to talk to you about like menstruation. And I don't even think we really talked about what happens to like guys bodies during puberty. It was really just like, and it was from like my history teacher or like some random teacher. I mean, she it was, she was a woman, but like, It's just, like, someone who didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about or, like, probably hadn't even taken a course on how to talk about sex or bodies to, like, young people. And in high school, I think maybe it was co-ed, but it was, like, definitely really awkward and probably from, like, my gym teacher.
0: It reminds me of like the Mean Girls scene. That's what that's what's like. No, coming but to mind,
1: seriously, you know? I, yeah. And a lot of the backlash I used to get years ago was like, "Oh, you're so young. What do you know about sex?" But I'm like, "Well, the people who taught me about sex are so old that what the fuck do they know about sex? Like, <laughs> they've been married for so like, true. or you know, like they don't know like how the times are changing or like." I was like, Snapchat was really big at the time, like sending nudes over Snapchat. Like, these were just yeah. topics that were not covered at all. And I remember this girl that I went to school with like had sent a boy a nude and somehow it like got around the school. And mind you, I went to a really small Catholic school. Mm-hmm. So it got brought to like the teachers and it was like this whole travesty. And I remember we actually went to the same high school and like she entered high school it'd be so interesting to talk to her now about the experience because I feel like she was so shamed and like eighth grade over the situation where like Honestly, it was the guy's fault. Like, you shouldn't be sending yeah. that shit around. And I feel like she was shamed by the parents and then the school that I feel like she entered high school. Like, honestly, probably feeling, like, really insecure about her sexuality. And I feel like she just, yeah, like, dressed a certain dressed a certain way. Like, was much more covered up and became much more conservative because I think she probably was so... Scarred. Scarred from the situation. Yeah.
0: It's so crazy to think back, like just to even our high school years, how thankfully we've, and you've probably been part of helping that, but how we've reframed the way we're talking about things like sending nudes or like I think about when I was in high school because I went to an all girls school, like, and it was super progressive. It was in New York City, like liberal, whatever, but they would still be like, They never, you know, say, like, you're asking for it or anything like that, but they would say, like, kind of coded comments, like, make sure your skirt isn't too short or, like, stuff like that. And uh, luckily, I think society is, like, heading away from that and that kind of thinking. But it is so sad for this young girl who's like exploring her body and has not been told anything about, you know, sending nudes or the possible repercussions that she's just entering high school totally shamed. Like it's super fucked up when it is, as you said, the guy's fault. And yeah, that probably like really changed her relationship with sex, with her body. Like I can only imagine.
1: So. And there's so many stories like that. Like So many, it's not an isolated incident. And I think what's, what, comes to my attention when we talk about this is like, these are at really liberal, you know, schools are in liberal places with a lot of access, like high wealth, um, you know, everyone has healthcare, like la 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 la, whereas a lot of my work, I focused around, okay, in New York City and Seattle, if this is the way, you know, women's bodies are being talked about or treated, what's it like for like that young woman living in a small town in Louisiana?
0: Yeah, it's it's insane. I can only imagine, like, given like the landscape of our country and, you know, the political conversations going on and stuff, the laws happening with like, you know, Texas banning abortion and stuff like it's. We have a long, long way to go in terms of these things, but I think it's awesome that you're like fighting for these things and fighting for these people who don't have the same amount of access. To pivot a little bit, I mean, still in the same vein, but you are technically a... I don't know if it's licensed or professional sexual educator at this point, right?
1: Yeah. So I did a program out of San Francisco and got like an associate's degree in just sex ed. That's awesome. Like I did it for, it was like a year long program. And then I've done a bunch of ASECT courses. So to be like a certified sex therapist, you have to go through ASECT, which is like the American Association of like sexual whatever. And I've done like a bunch of those trainings. I actually two years ago, I came to like kind of this realization of like, okay, do I want to go back to school and, you know, get my master's and like really do this full-fledged or do I kind of want to, I mean, not do that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so i go with the latter. I'm like, I loved school, but I'm done with school. Like yeah, yeah, I mean, I
1: liked school too, and I really thought about, like, okay, I'm in New York. Like, I could go back to NYU. I could, and, like, I, and still, like, that option is open to me, but I just feel like things progressed at a pace where I, it was, like, beyond my wildest dreams. So I was, like, I'm going to run with this for a little bit, see where it goes, totally. and, like, school is always there. And, like, what's so awesome about the career choice that I've gone with is that there is like no end of information or learning, like, like it's changing yearly and they're always coming out with new research. So I feel like I do a lot of honestly studying or reading just in my own time, but I haven't been super focused on sex ed actually. And I'm sure we'll get into that within my podcast and like what that natural pivot in my life has been like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to hear, because um, I know you also have this mental health focus now, which yes. is awesome. I try to bring that onto the podcast all the time as someone who struggles with my own mental health issues. I think most of us do, but you know, I think it's so awesome to talk about and so helpful to so many people. But yeah, let's just hear a little bit about how you got into going mental and how you started it and how that pivot went down. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, everything was going really well. And I actually was having a lot of mental health issues kind of at Mm. the time when my career was peaking,
0: (laughs) which makes sense. I think that happens to a lot of people. It's like overwhelming.
1: Yeah, it was super overwhelming. And I think it had happened so fast. You know, I'm like, starting a blog in my living room with two people to to trying to facilitate over a hundred people writing for it. We were doing like a clothing brand to kind of pay for things. And I have always really valued and been very picky about who I want to promote or work with. So I actually omitted any beauty or fashion stuff from my website, but obviously in doing so, because that was a value of mine. It definitely knocked out a lot of like advertising money. And like, Mm. so it was going from doing something that felt like a passion project and just something I really cared about to like, okay, how can this be self-sustainable? And like, I don't have a degree in business but I need to make this somehow work and pay for itself. And so it was just like, I felt really spread thin and my mental health started to deteriorate as a result of it what year is this around two years ago okay yeah like like the year before COVID hit yeah so which
0: still feels so recent
1: so recent yeah so i was like i have really bad um public speaking like anxiety and like some obsessive compulsive tendencies and when i get stressed out that stuff just comes to a head and i was yeah like going to Brown and going to Columbia and speaking on these panels and holding these big events. And I think I was really struggling and suffering from imposter syndrome. And like, that sounds kind of funny, but actually at the time it was like really, really horrendous. No, I think it's
0: real. I think it's especially like, I think about the women's like the feminist lens of it. It's like a lot of women don't feel like they deserve success or, you know, that level. And it happened so fast for you. So I think that's totally legitimate.
1: Yeah, it was just a really confusing time where obviously I was so grateful that things had become so successful on its own, really without Mm. like any outside help. But at the same time, I felt like mentally, I wasn't stable enough to like keep things going. Like I didn't have the foundation to like be okay with that. So I actually decided to step away from my career when things got really out of control, just like very debilitating. Like I wasn't really sleeping. I wasn't able to eat. It's not that I didn't want to eat. I just felt like I wasn't hungry. So I was losing a lot of weight and just not really functioning, at a level that i needed to be like a healthy human being yeah. and i decided to step back from and take a break from work all together and i actually checked myself into um, a residential program in boston at mclean which is like one of the oldest psychiatric hospitals in the country and so i went there for i mean i thought maybe i'm only going to be here for like I think two month minimum is the program that I did, Mm -hmm. but I ended up staying five months.
0: So was that during COVID?
1: Yes. Well, actually, it was a little bit before COVID. When did COVID hit? Like February, March? March. March. So I entered like the end of November. Got it. And so, I mean, that's definitely something we should touch on or talk about is like I entered before COVID. I came out in the midst of COVID. So like, so like I paused my life and decided to step away. And then I came out of like basically the hospital and COVID was happening full force, um, which I honestly think was kind of a blessing and meant to be because I was really struggling with this decision of, is it the wrong decision to step away from my career at this point? you know, everyone's lives, they keep moving without you. And, and that was something I really had to come to terms with while I was there. Um, and then I came out and it's like, wait, the whole world's on pause.
0: On pause. Yeah, (laughs) no, that's so true. Definitely a blessing in disguise. Um, yeah, I, I totally get that too, because I think, that's something as someone who also has i've read you've generalized anxiety right
1: yeah yeah
0: i also have it i think a lot of people have it but but i also have it i was diagnosed pretty young um like when i i've joked about this before but when i was way younger they thought like i had add or something because i needed extra time And it just turned out I was so anxious that I would like obsessively like check over my answers. So it's been going for a while. Um, But yeah, I, I think I've had similar responses to when things pick up. Like even right now, I'm finding the podcast picking up and I feel so great about it. And I've done a lot of work on myself in the past year or so where I feel like I can handle it, which is awesome. But I do think, you know, especially in like the entertainment industry, that there is kind of this pressure of like, once you start picking up momentum, it's like, don't let it go like
1: a 100%. And that's, it's really
0: overwhelming. So I totally understand why, you know, when things are picking up at that pace, it would be like jarring, you know? Yeah.
1: And, and unsustainable. I mean, I look at most people just even in like, ho- like, I'm not an actress. I don't do mm-hmm. anything in that world, but I have a lot of friends who are actors, actresses are trying to be an actor, actress. Yeah. And- that was
0: my original career path. Oh so. really?
1: <laughs> and I'm
0: technically, yeah, yeah. I was in LA for three and a half years before I started this. And technically I'm still auditioning, but just not the focus anymore because it is a madhouse for sure.
1: A madhouse. And also, I mean, even if you win a freaking Oscar, like there's plenty of examples of people who don't book a job for years to come even after that. Exactly. It's so
0: unstable An yeah.
1: unstable lifestyle. And I think that's a lot of people just in the entertainment world. Um, and that's really hard. And I think if you don't have a solid set of, you know, Mental health foundation-wise, which I think a lot of that just has to do with genetics. It's like, yeah, of course you have more vulnerabilities in it, and it is hard to, you know, live that lifestyle because, yeah, not having that stability can really like fuck up your day to day or like, give yeah, you debilitating anxiety or paranoia or whatever it is. And I think that's something that's like not talked about as much. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do with my podcast going mental is like talking to people from all all sorts of situations about, okay, everyone struggles with some mental health Health stuff issue. issue. Or even if you don't and like you're solid and like made of stone, which I have yet to meet someone like that. You've definitely had like a family member or a friend or like in some way it has trickled in and affected your life. Um, so really just trying to like have those conversations, but yeah, in my own life and with my career, that's really been my pivot because I think I came out of McLean and I realized, wait, I don't want to pick up where I left off. Like I was not a happy or healthy version of myself and no amount of money or career is worth not wanting to be here the next day. And like, that was my, like, so such extreme kind of anxiety really causing like an extreme depression. And I realized, okay, I can slow things down. I can do them at my own pace. Um, and like my health is my top priority now.
0: Yeah, and I think that's such a good message for the listeners, for everyone. Um and it's so awesome you came to that realization because I think, you know, especially in like American society where there is this like real pressure and focus on work that, you know, people do put their mental health second and it is really sad, you know. Um so I think that's so awesome that you and it's a pivot for sure, but it's You know, it's not so like you had to give up everything you'd worked for. Like you already had this platform that helps you make this message something that's like being widespread and that can be shared with a lot of people. Um, so I think it's such an awesome way to like kind of redirect yourself without, you know, necessarily like starting over. But um but yeah, and I love the mental health lens. I totally agree with you. I think everyone deals with something. Um, I think people who don't, not to offend anyone, but maybe just haven't like gotten super in touch with themselves or something because like, I mean, there are degrees of it, obviously, but I think everyone goes through their shit. And I think that's like the most humanizing universal thing there is. So something I also love about your podcast is, you know, you have had these like quote unquote, controversial figures on. Um, And I love the idea. And I've talked about this before at length as well on the podcast. But like the idea that you're a big proponent of like growth and change and not cancel culture where people are just, you know, cut off from the world and like punished for the rest of time. Because it's so funny, this like weird oxymoron of a situation where it's like we have this society that's like, Gen Zs are coming to you know the forefront and fighting for equality and mental health and universal health care and all this stuff. but then like people are getting canceled and I get holding people accountable. I think that's very important. but I think if people are able to like better themselves and grow and change like that should be the focus, not just like banning them for the rest of time, you know.
1: Yeah, and just to even open up that conversation. I mean, it feels like we're almost reverting back to like the Middle Ages when someone would no, when <laughs> yeah. someone would do something no, totally. and then they would like put like publicly shame. You. No, I'm serious. Like publicly. Yeah. Shame like you. so new. No,
0: I know you are. It's just it's like funny because it's sad and true. <laughs> like it's fucked up.
1: Like I remember a couple years ago I was in Spain and I went to the small medieval town called Ronda and they have mm-hmm. this. It's like a tiny, tiny little town up in the mountains and they have this museum of like medieval torture. It, it's really scary but it but it reminds me of this like some of the things that i saw were like giant bird cages that they would put a person in and then you like people in the town you know if they did something if they stole from someone if they cheated on their wife or husband and then you could like poke or prod them or like you know that classic one where like they put your head and your arms through that like beam and you just have to stand in the square I mean, so fucked up. So yeah. I'm like, okay, obviously we're not doing anything physical, but it does feel like on this grand scale of like public shaming using social media with cancel culture, and I just think it's it it feels like it's going backwards of the messaging that people are actually trying to, you know, progress in society. I have a lot of thoughts about cancel culture. I agree with you completely. I do think there needs to be, um, what's the word you used? Like accountability, but at the same time, we're humans. Yeah, and
0: it's ruining people's lives and it's it's really not allowing people to like learn from their mistakes. And I think that's, as you said, misguided and regressive. Um, I mean, obviously, there are degrees of it. Like, I don't think what Harvey Weinstein did was cool. I always use that as like a bad, like, one end of the spectrum example. But, you know, people you've had on like Amanda Knox or other people like that, even Michael Cohen, you know, I'm not forgiving some of the things he did. Won't get too political with it. But I think it's awesome that he did write a book and did redirect his way and change some of his ways and i think that's all you can really ask of people at the end of the day is to like learn from their mistakes and grow and teach other people so that they don't make the same mistakes you know
1: well it also reminds me of like what's wrong with our prison system is you know oh yeah no but like people go to prison like and they should be going there to be rehabilitated into society and that's not what's happening. And I also feel like cancel culture like jumps over that. You know, people need to learn from their mistakes in order to progress as a society. I'm this I'm with you. Like there are certain crimes where like, yeah, it is hard to rationalize or like, can you come back from that? Like certain things with children or like if you murder someone, like, should you be able to come back from that? But there are the, you know, there's certain degrees and like a a scale to it and I feel like especially with the internet people jump on the bandwagon without really looking for the proof or like they don't even they're not educated on the situation they just yeah jump on this it's kind of like burn the witch at the stake and assume
0: they know all the details
1: exactly and then like are so quick to jump on the cancel bandwagon Definitely.
0: I also just wanted to urge my listeners to listen to your episode with Michael Cohen. I thought it was very interesting. And it did kind of you guys had a conversation around, you know, the issues within our prison system. And how he experienced that firsthand, because, I mean, I think that's something that, ironically, there had, you know, given our cancel culture conversation, there has been a lot of awareness uh, brought to how the prison system needs reforms and changes. But I thought he had a really interesting perspective on that. And I like that you bring in that kind of parallel, because, yeah, we shouldn't just be like, punishing people till the end of time, especially when They have, like, these lesser crimes. And then it's also very, like, silly to expect these people who are going for a year or so and being treated like absolute shit to come out and be better versions of themselves, you know, because that's only further traumatizing them. And a lot of these criminals do come from traumatic or abusive backgrounds. so.
1: Yeah, I just think it's a lot more layered than people realize. And, like, I think that's what's difficult about social media is it, like, dilutes things to, like, our attention span is literally two seconds now. Yep. So people don't take the time out to, like, read about someone's history or you know try to see the greater picture it's like oh yeah let me jump on this but then in two seconds i'm not even thinking about that anymore but it does have lasting damage for that person
0: yeah it's like i've ruined this person's life or like helped ruin this person's life by commenting like i wish ill upon you and your family or whatever but then they've only read the headline and they don't know that person but they think they do because they've read a shitty headline or a shitty story on them so I totally agree and I commend you on your podcast. It's so great, everyone has to listen. And I think it's so great that you're doing this work and I love talking to you about all of this. But for time's sake, let's move into Quarter Life Qualms. So Quarter Life Qualms is a section I do that kind of does have a mental health focus in some ways. Um, So I started the podcast because I, you know, had a similar moment to you where I was like, and we were talking about this bit with the acting world. It's just like, I felt like I had no control. I felt like it was worsening my mental health at a certain point because I was like, not even acting. I mean, I was once in a while, but I was mostly auditioning. And it just felt like a lot of work for very little return. Yeah. Or, yeah, return. Exactly. Um, so I had myself a little moment of my own, have had moments since feel pretty good now going to therapy, all the things. But, um, but yeah, this section is just to kind of focus on your 20s and experiences you've gone through and what you've learned coming out of them. So without further ado, first question.
1: Okay, I'm nervous. Oh, so no. No,
0: don't be. You've got this. First question. Was there a moment in your 20s where you struggled or had a quarter life crisis of sorts? And if so, how did it go down?
1: Um, Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, I've had many moments though, Um, I think throughout my life, but I think my 20s, you know, I was living on my own and like figuring out how to like be a functional adult and having like my more serious, uh, like real adult relation, like romantic relationships. And I've definitely had moments. And I mean, I had a big moment leading up to when I checked myself into literally a psychiatric hospital. Um,
0: Honestly, I've thought about doing that too. Like, not necessarily that, but like, I don't know, like rehab or something. I feel like everyone should have like a moment to reset. I think it's actually really important. Um, And I didn't mention this before, and I'm sorry to cut you off. We'll get back to you in a second. But I also took a huge break from the podcast that I was very ashamed of and second guessed for a bit where I was having my own mental health struggles earlier in the year and dealt with a lot of depression and stuff. So I can totally relate to that. Like I told myself I was going to take like a month or two off the podcast and then I took like three or four months (laughs) so yeah totally understand that whole feeling and sometimes you just have to do what's best for you especially like if it gets to the point where the depression is so debilitating where you were saying you know you were having trouble eating and like fueling yourself and you know having these dark thoughts yeah i
1: mean i think everyone should be in therapy that's like my pre, my like requirement for people I date now. Literally, I'm like, you need to be in therapy or have seen a therapist, especially for men mm. who I feel like are, it's not even their fault, like so conditioned to not talk about their emotions. Yeah. That I need someone who's like self aware and like. And able to communicate, yes, with, like
0: with emotions. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so that, ha- I mean, there's been a huge difference between the people I've dated who have been in therapy or seen a therapist and those who haven't.
0: Totally, and I remember like I think back to some of my like younger relationships in like high school or early college, and I I remember just feeling so like confused as to why they didn't work out or what was really going on behind like in their heads, and I realize now that's because they didn't really have the emotional maturity or intelligence to like really communicate how they were feeling. So there's only so far you can go if a person can't express their needs or what they're not getting out of the relationship. Yes. Yeah, I'd also love if you have time to hear a little bit more about, like, what it was like being in the hospital and, like, what that experience was like for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, So, I think there's a lot of misconceptions, and even before I went away, like, how I imagined it, I'm like, oh my god, am I entering? Girl interrupted. That's exactly
0: what I was thinking, yeah. No,
1: yeah, am I going to be in a hospital gown? like up at the main campus and no, it wasn't like that. I lived in like a house in a normal residential neighborhood in the part of Boston where like the main campus is, but like not super close. Like you wouldn't even know this was part of the hospital. It just looked like a normal house and you see a therapist twice a week, your main therapist, you see you're required to do family therapy. You see a psychiatrist. Um, I see a Harvard researcher who's like working on their PhD, Um, who does like exposure therapy or like different specific kind of research-based therapy with you. And basically, I just worked with like a team of like 10 doctors and they just figure out why you're not able to function in the way that you should be able to and what, what can you do about it. I mean, it was an amazing experience.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds awesome. And that's another reason why like I, you know, was mentioning before, like I think it's so important people do take some time I mean, I guess not everyone needs it to the same extent, but I think like to have time, like really with no distraction set off to really like delve into your mental health and make sure you're on the right medications, you're seeing the right people because especially with psychiatrists, like I'm a huge proponent of medication. I think it's helped me personally. I know some people have different experiences around that, but I think with psychiatrists, like it's such a guessing game And it's so hard when it's like spread out and, you know, you're not really like taking notes always on the exact day to day experience. So to have that kind of really focused time where you can really figure out what's best for you, like it sounds like an amazing thing
1: to do. Yeah, exactly. And they're there with you. I mean, it's 24 seven care. So like, you know, there were people in my program, I've only ever taken Lexapro and I've had a really good experience with it. So I've, yeah, I've never, I haven't really had too much stuff with the medication, but there were women in my program who were coming off of like five different meds, you know, trying to, you know, they've been on like 10 meds and they just want to be on one or two. So they go into the program trying to, you know they're in like a safe care facility because I mean, these are real medications with really strong side effects. So like you could be having paranoia, you could be having like all sorts of stuff. So to be in a safe space where they can you're really under watch to allow you to kind of rely more on yourself
0: a hundred percent. And like i I actually haven't talked about this on the podcast yet. Um, because it's something I'm still like coming to terms with personally, but I, um, I actually had a very different experience on Lexapro. Um, I liked it at first, but then when I upped the dosage and obviously This is not to discourage people from taking Lexapro because everyone has different reactions to different medication, but I found that when I upped the dosage uh, to a certain amount and I actually have other friends who have had this happen with it or with other antidepressants, but it kind of fueled this like borderline manic uh, mania reaction within me. Um, which was super embarrassing because I also had COVID and I just was not being myself and I was acting in ways I wouldn't normally. And that in turn fueled the, you know, resulting depression that came after that because there's a lot of Shame. shame and embarrassment. Like I was humiliated by my behavior. So I think that's such a great point that you bring up that like, these medications especially you know if you're taking a huge mixture like can really bring up issues that otherwise would have been underlying or maybe not even present um, because that's something i dealt with firsthand oh i so, dealt with that too yeah.
1: i i can't take benzos like i'm fully allergic to benzos no they actually make yeah. me manic and like that's not something i didn't know for years and then i realized and now like i don't touch them with like a 10 foot pole but
0: not fun to feel manic. Not great. And
1: yeah, not fun to wake up the next morning and be like, oh my God, what did I say? What did I do? And I do think there's so much shame and stigma around mental health of, like, a lot of that stuff, like, it's brain chemistry and it's out of your control and, like, just judgment, even walking down the street. If I see someone like talking to themselves, like I'm like, okay, that person probably is having like severe mental health struggles, doesn't have like access to maybe the same level of care that I have been able to get and just like trying to be a little bit less judgmental moving forward and like, more more compassionate and empathetic. And so In the moments where like i've done something crazy i'm like if someone's gonna judge me like that's their own problem and like i'm getting to a point in my life where i'm secure and i know what i struggle with i actually had a really crazy situation this past week where i kind of had a falling out with a friend
0: i'm sorry friend issues are tough
1: (laughs) it's okay actually but this person used like um some things i had told them in confidence and like insecurities of mine as like a jab, as a way to like hurt my feelings. Yeah. Below belt. Super, super below the belt going for the jugular. But ultimately when I read it, I was like, you know what? I went to a program for a year or half a year where I learned about myself and, and all my struggles. So like, you can't use any of this stuff against me because I I know, I know what I deal with and what my vulnerabilities are. And I'm working on them. So like that actually doesn't hurt my feelings because like you're telling me something I already know tenfold and have come to terms with. But I'm like, that also shows way more about like you as a person and like you're clearly like unhappiness. honestly.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. It says so much more about that person. And I think that's, Also something I've learned over, you know, with my own struggles over the past year or so is like you really learn who your friends are and the people who are going to allow you to like go through a shitty moment and come out of it, especially if you hold yourself accountable. Obviously, if you don't like apologize or, you know, kind of work on yourself, that can be tough, Um, but everyone has their own journey and I have really totally what you were saying like realize that the people who really like condemned me for it or you know were sending nasty texts to other people or to me or shaming me for it like that's really their own issues and their lack of compassion and empathy at the end of the day so yeah i'm sorry you had to deal with that too though from a friend it's it's so shitty when people use like information that you've given them because you were vulnerable with them against you, and just like that's their own issue, as you said, okay. And then just for time, we'll do only one more question, and we'll make it a little more positive. So, okay. <laughs> what is one of your favorite parts of being in your twenties thus far?
1: Ooh, I don't know. What jumps to my mind is so like stupid and surface level. Um, I okay. feel like <laughs> no. I'm just like it's fun. It's fun to feel like oh like physically you're in your prime and like, but then at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to say that because I hope to be in my prime. And like my, I actually think women are so gorgeous and amazing, like in their forties and their fifties. And like, I think you come into yourself so much more. So I want to check myself there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that whole journey you went on your head.
1: Uh, I don't know. I think being open to making mistakes and like, these are my years of learning and also that my friends are learning and figuring out and coming to the other side of like, okay, in the next however many years, like none of my friends are married yet. They're probably not even with the people they're going to marry yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, these are the times where we're being wild and making mistakes, And it's just fun to be on that journey with my friends at the same time. And as we kind of start to enter into this next phase of our lives. And I think I'm starting to really decipher and figure out, okay, who do I want to enter that next phase of my life with? And who am I like, okay, those were my party friends from my twenties. And like, I'm ready to maybe like, snip that cord a little bit in a few years so it's it's interesting like all the changes you go through at this age
0: totally and yeah becoming a bit more discerning with friendships i think is definitely something that starts in your mid to late 20s but ends up like strengthening the ones that you do you know focus and put your energy into so i love that answer all right i could talk to you for hours but (laughs) we will finish up this interview with a quick game um, so it's called the 7T Questions, T-E-A, and it's just like it's inspired by Vogue 73 questions and it's just like fun, rapid fire, but don't worry about like rushing, but technically rapid fire questions about you. Question number one, what is the current T in your life?
1: Surrounding myself with people who add to my life. Fuck uh, yeah.
0: If you had an alter ego, who and what would it be?
1: Um, Pop star.
0: Oh, wait, can you tell me more?
1: Like, I've always thought if I came back in another life, like I would love to be a pop star. I'm not meant I have no singing voice, no really stage (laughs) presence. And I'm have social anxiety in terms of like getting up on a stage. It's so not my thing. But I would love to like come back as like Ariana Grande.
0: Totally feel that (laughs) I actually sing and I love singing. But like, it's a lot to keep up. Like, you have to rest vocally, you can't really drink that much. But I feel that, I'm like, maybe another lifetime, maybe later (laughs) this lifetime, who fucking knows. All right, number three, what is one of your craziest dating or sex stories?
1: Okay, let me see, because I probably have a lot of crazy ones.
0: (laughs) You're like, which one do I choose?
1: Oh my gosh. I went on a date one time off of the dating app, Mm -hmm. this guy who just like sucked and the date ended really fast. And then years later I ended up going on another date with someone I met in person and it happened to be the other guy's brother. And I had no idea. Like I, I didn't really even remember the guy from the dating app. It was like a quick coffee, But so I didn't even put two and two together. And he brought it up on this first date being like, I think you've met my brother. And I was like, oh, wait, where? And he was like, oh, you actually went on a date with him. That's so weird. Why wouldn't he tell you before the date? (laughs) I was like, this is so weird, Um, given it didn't work out.
0: We didn't go on another
1: date. I was like, no, thank you.
0: That's so wild. But yeah, I think that's really odd of him also not to like give you a heads up before the date. Like, why mid date?
1: Wait, he also, so this is actually so funny. So on that date with the brother, um, he split the bill with me, which I I am, listen, I'm a feminist, I'm not a feminist about the first date. Like you better pay for my fucking bill. And my
0: audience knows this because I've sounded off on it before. So
1: he made me split the bill and it was like one drink. I was like, don't ask me on a date if you can't pay like $18 for my drink. Anyways, I never went out with him again. I was just like, I'm not interested at all. Sorry. And he kept on hounding me like, like, I really want to see you again. I really want to see you again. And we had a mutual friend at the time, which is who we met through. And so then my friends hitting me up being like, why won't you go on another date with him? And I just like thought it was funny. So I was like, dude, he made me split the bill. Like, that's just not happening, especially on the first time. Like, I just think that's kind of disrespectful and just like it just shows a lack of effort. I believe in like chivalry, too. Yeah. It's like, oh, he was broke at the time. I'm like, okay, if you're too broke, then like don't ask me on a date. Or we go to the park and we can walk around or like do something else. Um, and it's really funny. I actually ended up setting him up with a friend of mine when we were all out together. I told her, I was like, Listen, he made me split the bill. So like make sure he doesn't do that with you. And like we were all laughing about it and it was all good fun. And they ended up seeing each other for a while. So
0: Oh, so he didn't do that? Okay. I don't
1: think he did. I don't think she let him. Yeah.
0: Good. He learned his lesson as a feminist. Like, I still think that chivalry and being generous in that way is important. And on top of that, like it's a certain level of effort. And it's like if you're exerting so little effort off the bat, it's only going to get worse. Like it's setting a bad precedent. All right. Next question. Who was your celebrity crush growing up or today? Either one.
1: Oh, I'm a Keanu Reeves girl. But, like, maybe, like, a younger Keanu, Reeves.
0: (gasps) Definitely. What is your favorite feature or thing about yourself?
1: I like that I can be straight to the point.
0: Definitely. Being direct, yeah.
1: I think I can be, like, a direct person. Yeah, and I also, like, love talking to strangers. Like, I like talking to random people when I'm at a restaurant. So that, I think, is a good quality always.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, what's your sign? I'm a Leo.
1: Uh,
0: makes sense. Happy belated. I'm Thank you. At this point. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a Sagittarius. Okay,
1: so you're also a fired sign.
0: Yeah, definitely. Both those things apply to it as well, where it's like, I love meeting new people. But also, like, if you ask me a question, I'm going to answer honestly. So love that answer. All right. What is something people or our listeners or you know your fans wouldn't know about you otherwise
1: oh I did I hate peanut butter it's just a, <laughs> me like, too I, like I actually like hate it like the smell of it makes me nauseous like like I would actually rather like die than eat peanut butter <laughs> ice cream or something like bleh.
0: yeah I'm not as strongly anti as that because I have dogs <laughs> so I have to like give her it sometimes but I totally agree. Like when I was younger, I never fucked with like PB and jelly and stuff. I thought it was disgusting.
1: I actually used to tell like at school, I would say I'm allergic to peanut butter, so I wouldn't have <laughs> to sit around kids who were eating it.
0: So smart. I love that. That is such a fun fact. All right, and for the last of the seven T questions, who is someone who currently inspires you?
1: Ooh, I don't know. I feel like I'm inspired by a lot of people. And I'm trying to think of people who like, like exactly what we talked about on the episode of mm-hmm. like people who put their health first and like don't get so wrapped up on the wheel of like having to put stuff out constant. Like they're able to like relax a little bit.
0: So maybe it's you. Maybe you're no, no,
1: no, no, no. Maybe some of like my artist friends who like don't care about like like the stuff of the work you know like putting stuff out there like it's really just about their craft
0: yeah that makes sense also like i i'm inspired by a lot of like creative people um because they're able to like kind of have the bravery and i think it can be so stigmatized but i think it's super brave to like not just necessarily go the traditional route and do a nine to five and have that security because it's it's scary sometimes but. i was gonna
1: say yeah like people that i know are just pe- honestly anyone who's trying to carve out like a creative path because like you just said with the nine to five like i think it takes a lot of courage and balls to like not just go down like the easy path so to speak and i think a lot of what we talked about on this episode of having that instability like takes a really specific kind of person to to do that i totally agree um and
0: i love your story i loved your like hearing about your journey and you know the way you're using your platform i think it's so great thank you so much for coming on eileen thank
1: you yeah do you
0: want to tell everyone where they can find you where they can yeah all the things
1: Okay. So you can find my podcast where you find every podcast. So it's going mental with Eileen Kelly. And you can find me on Instagram, just my name, Eileen. And it's like, come on, Eileen is the spelling. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, you find us on killerandasweetthing.com or killerandsweetthing Instagram, but yeah. And it's
0: thing with an A, right?
1: Yeah, thing.
0: Follow me at ckny twelve thirteen and at WTF Sup Pod. Okay, bye.
1: bye.